0: Hey everyone, I'm Brandon Knight and this is My Seminary Life, the show where I recap the things I'm studying in grad school right now. Let's get started. So when God saves us, why doesn't he just go further and just go ahead and make us perfect as well? In other words, why do we continue to sin after salvation? If God does all the heavy lifting, then why does he just stop with our salvation? Well, that's the question I had to wrestle with this week in seminary, talking about soteriology, that is the study of salvation. Welcome back. I'm Brandon Knight, and this is My Seminary Life. Glad you all could come back with us. Today, we're going to be talking about why we continue to sin after we are saved. Is there a reason for it? Well, I've got some thoughts. Hopefully, they're the right ones. But before we jump into that, I want to talk a little bit today first about a new segment we have on our Facebook page. Go to our Facebook page, My Seminary Life on Facebook at My Seminary Life Pod, I believe is is the handle. Because every Thursday, we're going to be doing a new segment on there called Relevant Thursday. I want to start bringing in relevant conversations that are happening in the world, unfolding around us right now. Whether it's from the news, um, the Gospel Coalition, Christianity Today, or more than likely, leaning into the idea of, hey, let's go to Relevant Magazine and see what they have to talk about. And I caught a really interesting article. It's up there right now. You can go check out. On a guy named Rich Mullins. You ever heard of him? Yeah, you have. Because he wrote Awesome God that every Baptist church is still singing to this day. Not that it's a popular song, but like they literally have not stopped singing Awesome God. It's, it's a never-ending song, even though they're just singing the chorus. I like Rich Mullins. Uh, my dad is a big Rich Mullins fan. That's kind of how I've got my introduction to him as a musician. But the article from Relevant was talking about how this... Ah, uh, recently, on Twitter, a um an interview that Mullins did back in ninety six, I believe has been circulating. And man, the guy just sounds like he just sounds like me. <laughs> I don't know. like I shouldn't say that i I really shouldn't compare myself to rich Mullins. but but seriously, like Rich was talking about in this interview just issues with. White evangelicalism issues of uh, his view on pro life over uh, what he what he would define as being pro life is not just uh, caring about a fetus, but caring about the lives of everybody throughout their course of life, and also just this um, this idea, especially of how the American flag should not be in a in the front of a church on the pulp pol- uh, on the on the pulpit, by the pulpit, like just all these things. And I have never felt such a kindred spirit before. I mean, I shouldn't say that there are people out there I'm friends with now, especially here in the podcasting world who are, who feel like-minded, who have this spirit of like, Hey, Christianity looks different than how we do it here in America. Um, But just to, just to see it unfold in 1996 like almost over 20 over 20 years ago now like oh it's just yeah it's a great article go check it out go give it a read and if you do read it uh leave me a comment on the post on the my seminary life facebook page and let me know what you think as well and like i said my dad's a big rich mullins fan and he was the first person to comment so yeah got a lot of questions for rich one day But hey, we're uh, here today primarily to talk about why do we continue to sin even though we have been saved? And not so much so from the perspective of we should know better, but if God does all the heavy lifting in salvation anyway, which is partially what we talked about last week when it came to this idea of just how total is our depravity. Today we're going to talk about that some more in that if God saves us, why does he stop at not making us perfect? When I was reading this question, which I will I'll read for you now, and it goes something like this. If God If God must supernaturally enable men to believe and draw them to himself, and if the matter of salvation is all God's work and there is nothing of man in all (laughs) in the process. It's just so dramatic sounding. At this point, I thought this was going to be the lifelong question that everybody has to wrestle with of if God does all this work, then why do we have to live on mission? Why do we have to evangelize? Why do we have to do these things? And I was so ready for that question because I've heard this story from R.C. Sproul like a thousand times that I can do verbatim as an answer, but that wasn't the rest of the question. The question goes on to say, then what do you say to the person who wonders why God does not override our sin, our will, in order to keep us from sinning after we are saved. That caught me by surprise because I didn't know that people were actually like debating that. I didn't know that people like debated whether or not we could be like, I didn't know this was a debate. Like, But okay, apparently some people want to know this. And so now I have to explain it. And I think, I think one thing that we need to start off with in my answer, at least uh, I post is that we need to start off with understanding that God was not, God didn't owe us anything to save us in the first place. I think there's a presupposition a little bit in the formulation of the question Uh, supposing that someone would actually ask me this question that we are supposing that God owes us something for saving us, that God saved us because he owes us something. And that's not true. We got to remember going all the way, going back to our episode on um, humanity, on anthropology, talking about how we are creatures. We're a higher level form of creatures, but we are creatures and we are creation. Making God an artist. And I don't know about you, but I have not really experienced an artist who is so passionate that they are willing to do anything and everything that God does for his creation. I just don't see that in most artists. They're passionate, they love their art, but I don't see the passion and the love that God has for his creation. I think what instead, what we see in the garden, Not just at the fall, but even in the creation of mankind itself, we see a God who loves to be in relationship and loves showing love, grace, mercy, and kindness to his creation. That's what I think we have here on the table. That is why God wants to reconcile us now. I mean, that is the very nature of reconciliation, is bringing us back together with him. God is a God of relationship. We see that in the Trinity. We see that in how he walks with Adam and Eve in the garden before the fall. God is a God of relationship. He shows love. He shows mercy. He shows grace. He shows kindness in creating us and in the redemption process. You look at verses like Ephesians 2, 8, 9. John 3.16, Romans 2.4 and Titus 3.5 that shows that all of these characteristics, love, mercy, grace, kindness, they are all related to how God saves us. How does he save us? He saves us by his grace, by his love, by his mercy, by his kindness. It's all of those things come into our salvation. So God doesn't save us because he owes us anything. He could have just dismissed us. Again, we are just creatures. But there is something deeper going on here than just God doesn't than God owes us something. That God feels like he he God feels bad for what happened and now he should be doing something about it. Understanding that spiritual resurrection is not a requirement that God is obligated to, f- to fulfill, but is an act of to pursue relationship with us. We now have better understanding of how to answer the actual question posed. I think we need to understand this, that there's a presupposition going into the first part of this question that is assuming that God owes us something. We God doesn't owe us anything he always has related to us relationally with grace, mercy, kindness and love. And even going back to last week on total depravity, you know we we spent a lot of time with Ephesians 2:1 talking about how we are spiritually dead and we looked at that great quote from Warren Weirdsby about how, you know, dead spiritual doing spiritual things doesn't bring a dead spiritual corpse back to life. We need a secondary force, an outside force to bring us to life. That's also part of the reason why God does all of the work in our salvation is because he has to. He is that outside force. If he wants the relationship and to show love, mercy, grace, kindness to us, he has to take the initiative and the saving. So with all of this in mind, we can now actually move on to the actual question on the table for this week, which is why do we keep sinning then? Why do we keep on sinning if why do we keep on sinning if God has done all this work anyway? Why does he not keep going? Why does he not just make us perfect? Like, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure I'm not the only person in this conversation right now who has wondered that. Why do I keep sinning? We're like Paul in Romans, I think it's 7 verse 15, where he talks about how I do the very things that I hate. I don't want to do this. My desires are not to continue to be enslaved to sin, Romans 6, but to be alive to God in Christ Jesus, Galatians 5. It is for freedom that Christ has set me free. But now, but now I continue to sin. I do the very things that I hate. Why? Why did he not stop? Why did he stop? I think there is partially, we need to admit the fact that God, God has the ability to do this. God does have the ability to do this. I want to acknowledge this. I don't think that there is a an issue of strength or ability here. If creation can be spoken into existence, Genesis 1, and Jesus can, you know, pick his life back up from the grave, John 10, 18, and the Holy Spirit can do miraculous works through the church, throughout the book of Acts, I think he can do this. There's no doubt in my mind that God could save us to the extent that we never sin again. So I don't think this is an issue of ability. It's really the question of why. Why would he do this? Why would he not do this? Paul writes in Galatians 5, verses 16 and 17, that the spirit and the flesh are opposed to one another, so we must walk in the spirit to not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Our bodies are not evil. Let me say that again. Our bodies are not evil, something that many Christians need to realize. It is neutral ground, and so we must either walk in the spirit or gratify the desires of the flesh. There's kind of a warring going on here. similarly, Jesus tells his disciples in John 15 verse 4, to abide in him. We must remain intimate with Christ in order that we have fruit in this life. We must remain intimate with Jesus. And this goes back all the way back, folks, to our first very first class talking about spiritual formation and intimacy with Jesus. We're walking with the Spirit, which is walking with someone is typically an intimate process. And we are encouraged by Jesus himself to have intimacy with him, to abide with him. Another way to think of this is that when we walk in the Spirit and abide in Jesus, we are presenting ourselves as living sacrifices, which is our reasonable service, which Paul writes in Romans 12, 1. I say that God does not override uh, override us so that way we never sin again because this goes back to how he has functioned throughout our spiritual journey. He has always functioned in our spiritual journey relationally from the before the From creation to before the fall to after the fall through redemption history to me being saved to me being walking with him now, it has been relational. Which does beg the question then, if God chose this path over making us perfect, Does that mean this is the path that brings him the most glory and builds the most relationship? Does us not being glorified in perfection now in space perfection now, does that keep us or does that keep us in intimacy with God? Whereas if we were made perfect now, do we lose a level of intimacy? Do we lose a level of dependence? Does God receive more glory on this path than he does if we're just perfect individuals? And I think so. I think part of the reason why we are so much more rela- need to be so much more relational now is to bring him that glory. And we need to be relational now in order to have hope and to trust in him. To show our faith. So yes, I think that there is a reason. There isn't a doubt in my my mind that there is a reason why God has chosen this path. And of course, the big cop out answer is always Isaiah fifty five verses eight and nine, where it talks about how God's ways are higher than our ways, and you know we're just we don't know. We're not going to know. Eventually, we get to that wall. Eventually, we get to that wall that God chose to do it this way for some reason, and that's it. But I do think, looking at how he has related to us throughout redemption history, always valuing relationship over doing everything right, that this path that God has chosen to not make us perfect, but rather to encourage us to. Draw near to him, to walk with him, to abide with him. This is how he gets the most glory, and that's difficult to hear because, like I said at the top of this, like there are times where we're like Paul and we're just groaning, "God, I don't want to do the things that I don't want to. I doing the things that I hate. Please, can I just be perfect? I just want to not sin anymore." Or we look at the outside world which is a hot mess all of the time, and just think, why is it not perfect? Why can't you just make it perfect? For some reason, in the grand design, God sees fit that he gets more glory if we are relational with him. We're all about relationships around here. Yes, I will tell you to read your Bible and to pray and to do these things, but I'm not going to tell you to do that just to do the thing. We pray, we read, we listen to sermons, we listen to podcasts, not just to check the box, but we do it for a relationship. We do it because we are creatures who still continue to do the very things that we hate and we need God. And we find God and we relate to him when we open his word, when we commune with other believers, when we pray, when we fast, when we listen to good preaching and good podcasts and good music that draws us near to him. And when we relate to him, then things are better. And we might still continue to sin. We might still continue to sin, but things are better with Jesus when we're walking with him. So keep that in mind as you go through this week. Walk with Jesus. Walk with him. Walk with the Spirit. Abide in Jesus. You may continue to sin, but know that as you are abiding with Jesus, then, as you are abiding with Jesus, then, then God gives the glory and we get a sweet taste of who he is. Well, that's all I got today on the My Seminary part. So let's head on over now to the My Life part. So get this, folks. So out here in the Midwest, we got dumped with snow about midweek. Uh, Forecasts were calling for upwards of about 18 inches of snow, but... Uh, only southern counties really got that. Me here in the Chicagoland area, we got still like a foot of snow, which is still nothing to like sneeze at. Like that's that's still a big deal. I I couldn't get out my driveway, so I had to call off work and blah blah blah. <clears throat> On two separate occasions now, I have people tell me that the weather was a conspiracy. Just let that sink in for a moment. The weather. Was a conspiracy. One person was basically making it sound like that everything that had happened really didn't happen, which is a total matrix. We're in a simulation type of situation. The other person was telling me that it was actually supposed to be 25 inches of snow, but the weathermen were only telling us 18 on purpose. Here's the thing. What's the difference between 18 and 25 inches of snow, folks? Like, seriously like either way that's don't go out in 18 inches of snow don't go out in 25 for sure it's different if they were like oh you know it should just be a light dusting barely an inch of snow and then we get dumped on like then i can maybe see a little bit of like a, okay I see what you're saying here but like where is where are people getting con- weather local weather conspiracy theory ideas from It's one thing where, you know, you're getting like all these different stories on the the moon landing or the JFK assassination or whatever. But like. Local Chicagoland region weather news is a conspiracy now. I was texting my old man about this and I said, you know, I was talking to Claire, too. And I was like, you know, I guess in the end now, if you don't agree with something, you can just label it a conspiracy just label it a conspiracy. That's the lesson today, kids. If you don't like something, just label it a conspiracy. Please don't do that. <laughs> Please take the actual conversation, the meatier part of this conversation as the lesson. But hey, if if, if that helps you too, if you don't like something, it's a conspiracy. Red lights, conspiracy. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, then please take a moment to rate and review the show on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on right now. Or head on over to the My Seminary Life Facebook page where you can write a recommendation on there as well. You can also follow us on Instagram at My Seminary Life Pod for other fun updates throughout the week. And more than the recommendation, I would really appreciate it if you told someone you knew about the show. Word of mouth is the best way to advertise for this show. And finally, you can follow me, Brandon Knight, on Instagram and TikTok at just.brandon.k for other fun, faith-based content. So that's it for today's episode. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Brandon Knight. Keep on studying.